Welcome back to Horoscope Witch. It's Mal. Happy Gemini season, guys. And welcome back to the podcast. I have to welcome myself back to the podcast because it's been quite a while since I recorded. Um, probably about a month, which really isn't that long. But I felt like I needed to almost take a break and also reconnect with why I was doing this podcast and I think I was sort of psyching myself out and kind of getting into like a spot I can get to myself get myself in with my creative projects because I am such a creative person and I feel like I'm a natural content creator at heart but then I want my content to be helping people and I want my content to be doing more good than harm and I don't want my content to harm anybody and I think I was just thinking myself into like a black hole about you know what is this podcast really doing for people like is it really helping that many people like I see my numbers are growing but I'm like what is the point (laughs) and I kind of had like a little existential existential crisis with this podcast in the past month and I was like meeting such resistance every time I would sit down to record this guy and I couldn't figure out why and I felt like I had to get to the root of why I was meeting such uh, resistance and basically I asked the cards um, obviously so I was shuffling and you know the queen of wands just shot out of the deck in reverse and it was funny because I was asking spirit I was like is or am I meeting so much resistance with this podcast is it because like it's no longer serving me in some way or like have I outgrown this is this causing me more stress than what it's benefiting me um or how it's benefiting me I should say and uh then for the queen of wands in reverse to just shoot out like I knew guys like I knew in my gut like that spirit was like you are like a pussy ass bitch like (laughs) like get your shit together and like time to step into your power like it's not like you have to claim your power with this and I think that was ultimately my issue and I tend to like get some natural blockages in the solar plexus area just because I think I have trouble stepping into my power and I think I have trouble acknowledging that like what I have to say is important and and that like my message from spirit is important and in the midst of like all of this kind of um this kind of these thoughts about like oh my god like what am I doing and um what am I even doing with this content that I'm creating or whatever like what's the point uh I had a reading um with uh, a co-worker of mine who I only see like once in a while because she only reads with us like every so often on the weekends when we need her and you know I asked a psychic I like went into the room with her and I was just like you know what like 
am I on the right path? Like, you know, like the cliche question that like every client will ask me when I'm sitting with them. And of course the message is always from spirit. Like, of course you're on the right path, honey. Like keep doing you. Like there's no such thing as being on the wrong path. Um, But if you feel like something's out of alignment, you have to change it. But then like me, also a psychic asking another psychic, like, Hey, am I on the wrong path? Like, Like, it was just so annoying. But one of the things we discussed in that reading was sort of, uh, I was like, am like I think astrology is, like, my calling above all. Like, even though right now I do the tarot professionally and I just became a Reiki master practitioner. So congratulations to me. Um, I'm trying to study like shamanistic energy healing and like look more into witchcraft and like all this stuff that I'm doing um, is really serving me. And it's it's been really like such a pleasure and a joy to go on this path. However, like one thing is calling me more than the rest and that's astrology and granted that's where I meet the most resistance with myself um that's where like the imposter syndrome sets in that's where I start getting like well I'm not good enough to talk about this like I what am I doing like at first this podcast was just like me having an outlet for my astrology and I think or talking about astrology and I think it still is that but now that like so many people are listening to this shit I'm like fuck like there's so much I felt I feel almost like a pressure to perform or there's like a pressure to um I don't know I think I think it's like a pressure I'm putting on myself to be perfect and I figured out that like through this reading with the psychic um I figured out that I was actually defaulting to a sort of crippling perfectionism um and that kind of blocks my creative energy so I kind of felt like okay well in order to talk about astrology I have to be the perfect astrologer like I have to be like the professional astrologer that's been practicing for 20 years um but at the end of the day um that's not true right I think uh you know certainly there like I've said before on this show I do see a lot of like bullshit stuff out there um, and about astrology specifically and I don't want to be contributing to that but at the same time like I feel like I take this very seriously like it's not something that I'm just like tweeting about on Twitter to be funny like (laughs) like astrology Twitter or whatever it's like a black hole and I love astrology Twitter as much as the next person but at the end of the day, like, this is my path, this is part of my path, and that's what um, the psychic was kind of trying to tell me, and uh, I was like, you know, the psychic is named Kathy, and I was like, oh, Kathy, like, there's just, like, so many um, astrologers out there, like, there's, there's astrologers that are, like, so famous, and, like, they get all these like likes and they have like a million followers on Instagram and I'm like how why does the world even need me like why do why do we need one more person pursuing astrology and 
<laughs> Kathy, she's a she's an Aries, so she said the funniest thing. She's like, "Well, who are these people? Like, name these famous astrologers." And I named like five people that like I like follow a lot, and like they're very popular. And she goes, oh, "Well, I haven't heard of them." <laughs> she's like I haven't heard any of those people and you know spirits telling me correctly like you're gonna be just as good as them one day so what are you even talking about and (laughs) and she just kind of like shut down like all of my insecurities and it was kind of like okay like it's time it's time to really step into my role as the astrologer granted um I did teach my first tarot class this month too so that was like it went so well and really it's just reinforced that I have known all along that teaching is my purpose in some way but it just wasn't you know teaching in an academic setting like I thought it was going to be Um, but now it's more like teaching in the setting of spirituality that really like makes me the happiest and uh makes me feel the most passion so teaching that tarot class like really helped me in a way like find a piece of my path and I know teaching needs to be more incorporated into what I'm doing now so that's a little bit about my life update with my solar plexus and (laughs) stepping into my power with astrology and I think Right now, of course, you can work with me um, with the tarot uh, through online things on Etsy, which you can find in my show notes. But I think by the end of the summer, um, like astrologer Mal will be arriving. Like I'm going to basically open up the astrology part of my business. And I think I'm definitely ready. And I think I've been ready for a long time, but I've just been convincing myself that I'm not good enough. And, you know, every time, um, you know, I feel like I could definitely give, you know, an astrology reading and someone tells me like, yes, you're good. You teach me so much. You're ready. You're good. Then I like always hold myself back and I find, find an excuse like, oh, like, I don't know enough, like, I don't, blah, 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 but really, when I ask spirit, they're like, you know more than enough, A, and B, um, you're, you're at, like, almost a point in your astrological studies where you've hit the point of, um, almost like it's like a peak like you can't learn anymore on your own now if you want to continue your journey you're going to have to start reading for people in the astrological setting and you're going to have to start seeing all these birth charts and start um, putting it all together now and I said like okay spirit like you're so right so that's definitely on the menu for me the other thing that I'm having trouble stepping into my power with is that I know guys I know probably I'm gonna have to like do some sort of YouTube situation like I know I have to put my face out there more but it's so easy to just talk on a podcast and not have anybody look at me (laughs) and um and but I know and I know you guys want the videos more too because I had posted like I write the astrological reports on my blog, but I had posted a poll on my Instagram and I said, like, what would you guys prefer? Do you prefer 
me talking about the astrology over writing or do you want it in a video and like so many like the vast majority I think it was like 82% of you said that you wanted the videos and I'm like oh fuck (laughs) and I was like yeah I know like I should be filming videos and like putting them on YouTube or something and just doing like 30 minutes a week of the astrology and doing it that way and expanding my horizons that way because you know at the end of the day there are some people who are always going to prefer watching a video to listening to a podcast and a lot of people will say they can't listen to a podcast because whatever it's too boring it's not like visually stimulating enough or so on and so forth so I think I do need to branch out my um my videos and like everything that I do and if I did have a YouTube I could probably post more videos that are in a sense like teaching videos like about how to you know learn astrology how I taught myself astrology um what's the best way to go about it things like that so Again, guys, that's on the menu for me coming up in the next couple months. So thank you so much for listening to my intro. I'm sorry I just babbled so much, and you guys know I usually get right into it. But that is what it is with that stuff. So let's get into the Gemini season. So happy Gemini season to all my Geminis out there. Now I did title this episode, Why Does Everybody Hate Geminis? (laughs) um and totally promise you not throwing you shade I'm not gonna be like talking shit about Gemini's on this podcast um but I do actually want to go further into exactly like what are people's complaints about Gemini's because I think the way that um you know pop culture astrology frames gemini's as like the evil twin or the person who like just doesn't get it or likes drama or whatever um uh like we just don't realize that the inherent meaning of the gemini archetype is it's actually about projections right um so it's about uh, how we project ourselves onto others how others may quote-unquote trigger us um into feeling uncomfortable and guess what sign in the zodiac does that the best that would be the gemini's (laughs) so i think it kind of relates back to um the tarot cards that represent gemini in um so in the tarot I kind of want to just start out start out with the tarot talk because I think it kind of sets the scene for talking about Gemini in astrological terms too because I think the tarot cards for Gemini really 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 have to do with the themes of the Gemini archetype. So first off um, with the lover's card so the lover's card in the tarot is representative of Gemini and if we're looking at the Rider Waite Smith version of the lovers we are basically we basically have a scene depicted from like the Garden of Eden like it's very Adam and Eve we see two people um you know they they're not they're not wearing any clothes um they kind of seem like they're coming into divine union and um sorry I think there's 
a ghost in here. Um, so <laughs> I'm at I'm at uh, work, uh, and I it's in, we're at an empty in an empty shop right now, and I think there's a ghost tapping on the window for me. But anyways, so with the lovers card, we're coming into divine union, and we see that sort of Adam and Eve um, stereotype in the card. Now, because I just taught my tarot class, one of the things, the handouts <laughs> that I made my students read was a, um, an excerpt from a book called The Psychic Tarot. And this book is written by Craig Janjulas, and I'll put that in the show notes. I bought this, I originally bought this book on tarot because it coincides with the Aquarian tarot. So it goes through the specific imagery um, in that certain deck, but it also has some really good information about like how to develop psychic ability through the tarot. But my favorite part of the book actually is um, a story that um, Craig Junjulas wrote. And he basically wrote this story about the fool and it's about the fool's journey and it's about how the fool walks through each card of the major arcana and what he learns from each card so he says in this um in the story of the major arcana he says like i have woven the 22 cards of the major arcana into a story to facilitate the learning, the messages they impart. The words in italics are derived from the divinatory meanings described in the next chapter. So I didn't really need to read that to you, but I was just trying to set the scene. Um, <laughs> so basically, he writes how like the fool comes into the world. Um, I'll read again back when we get to the magician, because we're going to talk about the magician in this episode too, but I felt like we should actually start with the lovers in some context. So um, he talks about how the fool meets the magician, the fool goes to the high priestess, goes to the empress, the emperor, the hierophant. Finally, he gets to the lovers. So let me read the really short snippet of the fool arriving to the lovers. Um, so he also refers to the fool in this story as the young man. So he says the young man briefly returns to his hometown to speak to the girl with whom he has joined hearts in love since his childhood days. He tells her how often he thought of her beauty, her inner harmony, and her caring and trusting ways during his travels away from home. As the lovers embrace, they discuss his future travels away from her. He explains his need to continue his spiritual journey and kisses her goodbye. He knows he has to control his emotions and make responsible decisions based upon spiritual values. Okay, so I think that's so interesting. The fact that in that um, store little snippet about what happens when the fool meets his love. So according to Craig Janjulas, the, the lover is, is actually like the fool and the fool's high school girlfriend, essentially. <laughs> and they come and meet together. But the ultimate realization is that, you know, they love each other so much that they must part ways. And they must um, sort of 
figure out how to live independently away from each other. I think it's interesting that the love that is described in that passage, it's basically the antithesis of any sort of codependency, right? Um, the fool in in the lover's card, he knows, as Craig Jandrula says, he has to control his emotions and make responsible decisions based upon spiritual values. So, he knows that um, in reality, in love, actually, we have there has to be some level of like unattachment, right? Because attachment doesn't necessarily mean we love the person, right? Attachment is actually like manipulation. Um, there has to be some sort of level of detachment, I should say. It, when we're in divine union with another person, we bring each other into balance, right? And when we attach to each other, I think we actually imbalance each other in a strange way. Now, I do think the lovers talks about more than just love. And it talks about more than just, um, you know, coming together, meeting someone new, uh, so on and so forth. The other thing is, if you look at the Rider Waite Smith version of the card, it's interesting because the the lady, she is looking up at the angel in the sky, whereas the man in the card is staring at her. And I never noticed that before, but shout out to the student that pointed it out to me in class um, because it was just, it was a really cool thing to notice that um, in the card, we can even tell by the eyesight of these two characters in the lovers, let's say Adam and Eve, um, Eve is almost looking up as though she's finding like divine love and divine wisdom in spirit, right? Whereas Adam in the card, he's trying to find divine love um, through another person, right? He's looking at her for love. Whereas Eve is not looking at him to fulfill her. She's looking to spirit. So even though that's such like a minor detail of the card, I think every single thing in the card is relevant, right? I also think it's interesting... Um, because when we're looking at the tarot, uh, something we sh we don't really talk about a lot are the clothes that the character is wearing. And actually, there's only a few cards in the whole traditional tarot where the character is nude. So we've got the lovers, we've got the star, and we've got the world. And I think if I'm not missing anything... I, I'm pretty, okay, and then the lovers show up again in the devil. Okay, so we've got nudity in those four cards. So I think actually what nudity means when we see in the tarot when a character is not wearing any clothing, I actually think it's um, representative of sort of like our spiritual selves, right? Our our. I don't want to say innocent because there's such like a bad connotation of innocence. Um, but yeah, kind of like that purity or same, same word that has a bad connotation, but stay with me. That innocence, that purity 
of being a spiritual being right because this especially the star and especially the world card the two figures that appear in those cards they are like of the highest spiritual people um and i think the lovers it sort of represents how we are sort of half spirit half human um the one other thing about the lovers and this is something that i learned from the osho zen tarot uh in that deck specifically um the lover's card is simply uh, a woman looking at her reflection and in the guidebook something that's read or said in the guidebook that's always stuck with me about the lover's card is that um the guidebook says sex is the lowest form of love and I always thought that was like so poignant. And I think really what I've transformed that into is that physical connection is a, the lowest form of love. And I think often our physical connection to someone is a gateway into like a spiritual connection with them in a strange way. So the lover's card, when it comes up, especially in the realm of romance, it could be saying, okay, yes, you have a physical human connection with this person, but are you using this gateway to somehow, um, I don't want to say achieve enlightenment with this person, <laughs> but are you using this gateway to learn the spiritual lessons that both of you need to learn together? The lover's card can certainly come up for someone too who is in no way looking for a relationship, who is not married, they're not looking, they're single, they like it, they love it. When the lover's card comes up in that context, I think it's more about internal balance and also making choices, right? Um, the choice aspect of the lovers, I think, comes from the Gemini um the Gemini relation to the cards because with Gemini as we'll talk about when we get into the archetype of Gemini astrologically um Gemini does have to do with making choices it has to do with two sides of us being pulled in different directions so the lover's card could definitely be about it's time to make a choice because if you don't make this choice, you're going to be out of balance. The only way to get back in balance is if you make the choice. Uh, so that's my interpretation of the lover's card. Uh, it's really interesting um, to think about uh, just like the spiritual connection in the lover's card. And it's interesting to sort of put it into context of perhaps... Um, one of the lovers is the fool and the fool is meeting someone um that is sort of like his um you guys know i hate the word soulmate but we'll just use it in this context um the fool is sort of meeting his soulmate and i think it sh it shows um a greater sense of like maturity and wisdom for him to know that he must give her love but he also must detach must detach and go on his spiritual journey um alone right uh so that is really i think the meaning of the lover's card in some contexts now in real life when i'm reading for clients 
a lot of the times the things that I channel through the lover's card will be about like physical lust. Like I said, like, of course, like sexual intimacy is important and it's special and it can be a very high vibration. So when I say sex is the lowest form of love, I don't mean to be like not being sex positive or something like that. Um, it's not to say that, but I think, um, in like I said, in my experience, a lot of the times the lovers, especially if it comes up in reverse, I might say, okay, this seems to be very lusty. And I think we have to realize that, you know, love does not mean sex. Sex does not mean love. Um, and that's also a reminder from the lover's card. The other tarot card that has to do with Gemini would actually be the magician and that's because the magician represents the planet Mercury and the planet Mercury is the ruler of Gemini. So let me actually read you guys again the short passage about the magician from the psychic tarot by Craig Junjulas in the story that I was just reading you. So first let me get a drink of water. <laughs> Okay, so this is the fool. Um, so he, the fool travels onward and he misses the warm fire at home and is weary from the many months on the road. But he presses on, determined to translate his ideas into actions and direct his own life. Upon seeing a small school of the occult set alone in the foothills, the fool takes the initiative and seeks admission. He becomes an apprentice. After many years of diligent studies, he acquires the skill and the confidence to develop his psychic abilities and displays the wise and honorable use of them, thus earning the title of the magician. As he prepares to leave school, he knows he's about to begin a new and successful cycle in his life. So um, in this version of the story behind the major arcana, it's interesting that, um, you know, actually in like traditional tarot card class, we might hear that the hero font is the card that like indicates, okay, time to go back to school, time to learn something new. But actually, I think I've always felt intuitively that it is the magician that's about learning something new. And here's why. Um, in fact, yeah, just yesterday, the magician came up for someone who was thinking about going back to school. Uh, here's why the magician has so much to do with learning something new. A, that's the whole freaking point of being a Gemini, right? It's about learning new things. They're never done learning. B, Mercury is the planet of the mind, right? It's planet of communication, our communication to others, both human and spirit, and see if we actually look at the imagery of the magician card, what does, he, what does this dude have in front of him? He has all four elements. He has earth, water, fire, and air um, in the form of a pentacle, a cup, a wand, and a sword. And the magician, at least in the Rider Waite Smith, he is holding a double ended wand. Okay, so why is this wand double sided? It's because he's channeling information from spirit 
and channeling it downwards into the earthly realm. And I think it's interesting because it's almost as if he has all the ingredients of manifesting his life, but he hasn't quite done it yet, right? So I think it's always important to say or note that the Magician card is only the first major arcana card, right? Or at least the second if we say the Fool is the first, but technically the Fool is zero and the Magician is number one. So we are at such a pure beginning. I think the Magician is about building something, starting to build something um, with all of the elements in a way. And I think it's important to note that no matter um, what happens to us, right? No matter how bad something happened or uh, what we're going through, no one can ever take away our four elements. So I think, and also no one can ever take away our wand, our double-sided wand. So the magician reminds us that we inherently have water, our emotions, fire, the ability to take action, swords, the ability to control our mind, and pentacle, earthly resources, plus the double-sided wand, our connection to spirit, we always have those four things, right? Um, and we can get stuck in victim mentality that tells us we do not have those things. Oh man, like I just don't have enough. I just can't, I would never be able to do that. I can't go back to school. I'm way too old. I could never be a professional psychic. I could never be good enough for that. Okay, when the magician comes up, it's like, no, homie, you got it all, okay? Nobody could ever take away those five things. Again, the five elements, spirit, water, fire, air, and earth. You have those. Every single person has those. It's our divine right to have those things and it is our divine duty to use those things right so again when the magician comes up sometimes it's kind of like the um like what the fuck are you doing card (laughs) like what how the fuck are you using your time uh are you using your time wisely uh you have so many powers uh we're all witches we're all wizards and remember our spells are or i should say our words are our spells words are spells (laughs) so when you speak negativities into existence you are casting a spell right um if you wake up every single morning saying i'm cursed i'm cursed i'm cursed you're going to be cursed, right? Um, But if you wake up every morning and say, I'm rich, I'm rich, money flows easily to me. That's been my mantra lately. I love money and money flows easily to me. Uh, Just switching our programming a little bit. These are the things that the magician may be talking about. Now, um, there is sort of like a sneaky connotation of the magician that I've heard before. I think especially some readers will um, read the magician in reverse as sneaky. I mean, it could be like that in some contexts, especially if we're like taking advantage of our resources, like perhaps we are um, using, let's say the four elements, but we're not using the fifth element of spirit. 
that could be when like horrible things happen in this world, right? When we're just taking advantage of our the resources that may not be ours, right? Because I think especially in order to use the five elements there sort of has to be a partnership right like for instance like let me give you an example of how I could use the five elements so okay let's say um, I go outside and I pick a rose a rose from the garden and I'm going to use this rose in a spell I'm going to make sure to return the rose petal somehow to the earth after I'm done with it or like bury the ashes if I'm burning it, what have you, um, give something back to earth in exchange for what I've taken. Uh, the magician reminds us to do our work with integrity. And if we feel like we have to sneak around to do our work, well, why are we doing it, right? But I would say in general, um, the magician in reverse, I think it more has to do with stepping into our power I think something that's overlooked in the tarot um, specifically are the background colors a lot of the time. And both the Fool and the Magician have yellow background colors, which is the color of solar plexus. So both those cards on some level are talking about our personal power. So if the Magician comes up in reverse, I may feel, oh, hey, maybe this client's solar plexus chakra may be blocked in some way um and the ultimate irony was that my monthly card of may was the magician in reverse and <laughs> hence that that intro i just gave you guys about how i was struggling to step into my power and i was trying to find excuses why not to do what i need to do right so the magician in reverse could be very much full of excuses as to why they can't step into their power. Now, quickly, um, the other uh, tarot cards that have to do with Gemini are actually like kind of the scariest cards, quote unquote, the scary cards of the tarot, which are the Eight of Swords, the Nine of Swords, and the Ten of Swords. So quickly, I wanted to give a few words on those specific cards since, you know, nobody likes to pull those cards in the morning, right? Nobody wants to be doing that shit. Um, so for Eight of Swords specifically, uh, the Golden Dawn would call this card the Lord of Bondage, and it actually represents Jupiter in Gemini. So I think it's interesting that the Eight of Swords would be co corresponding to Jupiter because Jupiter is supposed to be the planet of expansion. And so it kind of makes sense, though, that um, when the Gemini energy gets shadowy, uh, we start to get too stuck in our minds, right? We get too trapped. And I always call the Eight of Swords, it's the card that is about um, the prison of our own making, right? Nothing in the Eight of Swords is true. Um, everything is an illusion to me in the Eight of Swords. That girl is not in the Eight of Swords, in that fence thingy with the eight swords sticking up from the ground. Those swords aren't even real. I don't even think that blindfold's real. I don't think she's actually tied up. I think it's all an illusion that's been created by her own mind, right? 
So I think the Eight of Swords, in order to get out of that, we're going to have to go back to the fact that it's related to Jupiter. And we have to expand our ways of thinking. We have to figure out ways to see things from a new perspective. That's the advice with the Eight of Swords a lot of the times. How can we see this from a new perspective? Because you're so stuck in your limited perspective that you can't even see what's going on, right? Your sense of reality is just not there. Now, the Nine of Swords, um, the Order of the Golden Dawn would call this uh, the Lord of Despair and Cruelty, and that actually represents Mars in Gemini. So I think the Nine of Swords relating to Mars, which is the planet of war, uh, the Nine of Swords actually represents when we're at war with ourselves, right? We're at war with what should we do. We're sick with anxiety. We're sick with worry. Um, it's also kind of correlating with the fact that like negative thought patterns are a spiritual sickness because actually when we think poorly of ourselves and when we say I'm fat, I'm not good enough, I'm not a good enough psychic, I'm not a good enough astrologer, shit like that, we're actually offending God right? For lack of a better term, we'll just call it God or divine source. We're offending divine source because we are divine source. So when we get on ourselves, we start shitting on ourselves, we're shitting on divine source, okay? So I think for the nine of swords, how do we get out of that? Um, I think it's about doing little things. One of the things I said um, to my students in my tarot class was that uh, with the Nine of Swords, actually depression and anxiety, they feed on like an open-ended schedule, right? That's actually where it thrives. Like depression and anxiety don't want you to be on a schedule. They don't want you to have integrity and be true to what you need to get done. So actually the Nine of Swords, how we get out of it, it's actually to face the fear and just get the thing done that you need to get done. It's about um, forming some kind of schedule again. Even if the schedule is just getting up, taking a shower and getting dressed and going to sit at a coffee shop for an hour just to get out of the house, that is such an accomplishment. And that's the anecdote to the poison of the Nine of Swords. Ten of Swords represents Lord of Ruin, or it's called the Lord of Ruin, I should say, and it represents the sun in Gemini, which is so f like mind-boggling to me that that card would represent the sun in Gemini. But actually, it kind of makes sense because I think during Gemini season as a collective, we're going to be examining two things that are very much related. A, what are we thinking? What are our thought patterns like? And B, how are we projecting that onto others, right? So the sun in Gemini sort of represents just an exhausted way of thinking. This does not serve you anymore. There's a sense that like it's over. Actually, out of the eight, nine, ten of swords, the ten of swords is the card I would prefer to receive <laughs> out of all of those cards. Because for me, the ten of swords kind of means like it's over, like it's over and done with, or it's soon to be very much over and done with. Um, this thought pattern needs to end. 
you're above it, you're beating a dead horse, um, it's time to figure out something new, we've grown past this, it's the end of the cycle. But again, the swords, like Gemini, they all have to do with our mind space. So those are some um, over an overview of the Gemini tarot cards. And I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go into the astrology of Gemini. So thanks, guys. Be right back. Okay, let's talk about the astrology behind Gemini. So Gemini is the third zodiac sign. Um, it is a mutable air sign. It's ruled by Mercury, as we talked about, and I think the main point with that, with Gemini being ruled by Mercury, they could very well be the most, um, the the sign that is the most in their heads. Uh, now, granted, the co-ruler uh, of Mercury is Virgo as well as Gemini, so both Virgo and Gemini rule Mercury, or I should say Mercury co-rules both Gemini and Virgo. I think that's more of the correct way to say it, <laughs> but you guys get me. Uh, but I would say that's what both Gemini and Virgos have in common is that they're very much in the headspace. I would actually argue Gemini might even be more in the headspace. There's something grounding about the Virgo. Virgos are mutable earth signs, so they have that earthly energy to ground them. And quite a few Virgos will become excellent meditators and healers. Now, so will Geminis, but I would say out of all of the zodiac signs, Geminis have the most trouble learning how to meditate, learning how to detach themselves from the mind. And once a Gemini does learn how to meditate, meditate, um, I would say they are some of the best meditators in a way. And I think that like specifically if you're a Gemini who has trouble being too much in your head, um, at the end of the day, what you need to do is actually just sit in silence and let your mind wander and see where your mind takes you and let it wander up to the astral. I actually think Geminis in general have a lot of protect or potential for, I mean, everybody has potential to learn how to astral travel, but I think Geminis would be especially good at it because you're so good at, um, at um, the imagination, the imaginative part of the mind. Now, um, the polarity of Gemini is Sagittarius. So with Sag, Sag is the sign that has to do with like the long-term traveling, the long-term um, expansions. Uh, Sag is ruled by Jupiter, the biggest planet. So it's all about expanding our horizons, whereas Gemini is the ruler of short-term travel and Gemini is more about learning the things in front of us and mastering the things that are close to us. Okay, I was trying to think of a metaphor to describe this as because it's kind of confusing to think like, okay, Gemini's the ruler of short-term travel and Jupiter's, or I mean, sorry, Sagittarius is the rule of long-term. It's a little bit uh, um, well, first of all, we can think of it as um, Gemini 
also rules siblings, um, and that's coming from the third house. Um, so the third house in astrology ruled by Gemini has to do with siblings. So siblings are the people that we are born into the world with, right? We don't have to go out and meet them. They're probably the, besides our parents, they're the first people that we are interacting with in our life. So we didn't have to go far to meet them. Now, Sagittarius, which is the ruler of the fifth house, the fifth house has to do with the children we may or may not have. So we do have to go a longer journey to meet those people, right? And we have to find a partner to bring those people into this world. So it's a much broader, um, like a broader journey to meet the people of the fifth house versus the people in the third house. Now, granted, I will say that the fifth house also has to do with our lovers um, <laughs> as well. So it's not just children. There's other people that have to do with the fifth house. Now, something we can think about is um, the Gemini energy is kind of like going to Whole Foods and, I don't know, buying some, like, exotic fruit, even though I hate the word exotic because it's, like, overused by white people to describe things that they don't really understand, right? So, <laughs> but let's just, for lack of a better term, um, you go to Whole Foods, you buy some sort of exotic fruit, like, um, and it's from a completely different part of the world that you've never been to before. That's Gemini. Sagittarius is if you actually go to that country and eat that fruit that you've never tried before in that country, right? So Gemini is about learning about all these different things, but we're still at home base, right? There's still, um, there's still something that has to do with uh, almost like our home life right? Whereas Sag is like completely, we are out of our comfort zone. We've released, we've matured, that kind of thing. I would say that a lot of Geminis, when it comes to food, they're willing to try a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, their favorite thing to eat is just whatever they grew up eating, um, like mom's cooking or dad's cooking. <laughs> and that has to do with their short-term travel kind of um association. Now the body part that rules Gemini, I think there's a lot of different ones. I mean, there's the eyes, the ears, the hands, the arms, the shoulders, uh, anything that's a duality in the body. Um, but most of all, uh, Gemini represents the lungs or the respiratory and nervous system. So the lungs obviously are two um, we have two lungs, so that's where the the duality of Gemini comes into place. But also, it has to do with us speaking, right? We could not speak if we did not have lungs, and we could not breathe if we did not have lungs. So that actually relates me back to the uh, tarot, specifically the family of the swords. So the king of swords, the queen of swords, the Knight of Swords and Page of Swords, I think all of those cards do have something to do with the lungs or more specifically the throat chakra, right? So Gemini, I would say if they're, mm, it's kind of hard to say because I would say if there was one chakra we could really associate Gemini energy with, I would say it's the throat chakra. 
but I think a close second might be the third eye chakra because also Geminis have that inherent um, connection to spirituality. And that brings me to their archetype, which we kind of already talked about with the lover's card, but their archetype is the twins. And I was actually looking up the story of the twins because I know that in Greek mythology, um, I knew that the Gemini twins were named Castor and Pollux, but I wasn't exactly sure what their, um, like what the stories were about them. And it was really interesting slash disturbing story as Greek mythology often is. Um, <laughs> um, so essentially, the, um, the mother of Castor and Pollux, or the Gemini twins, uh, is named Leda. So you may know her from, you know, the famous paintings or the famous poems about Leda and the swan um, in Greek mythology. Leda is... Um, raped by a swan and Zeus actually takes the form of this swan in order to have sex with Leda. Now there's certain you know with Greek mythology there's certain variations of the story like in one story Leda is raped the other story Zeus the only way Zeus is able to persuade her to have sex with him is by becoming a swan I don't know, it's kind of creepy, but there's some really, like, famous artwork that depict Leda being, you know, having sex with this swan or whatnot. So definitely Google that, and that has to do with the birth of the Gemini twins. Now, it is, in certain variations of the story, Leda was actually impregnated with four children at once the gemini twins and then there was like another two children that i'm spacing on at this moment but it doesn't really matter anyways because this story is already so trippy we don't even need any more details but essentially imagine that leda is pregnant with these four children and um some of those children are zeus's children who is you know the king of the gods and some of those children are fathered by her human lover. So when she has these children, we're not sure which ones are human, quote unquote, and which ones are spiritual or divine-like. So there was always kind of um, an interesting dichotomy between Castor and Pollux because it can be said that one of the twins represented the human version of themselves and the other twin represented the spiritual um, aspect of themselves. So I always thought that was, um, or I shouldn't say I always thought that, but I thought that was cool when I started reading more about the Greek mythology. And I think it relates back to the fact that Geminis are some of the most spiritual people in the zodiac. And out of all the zodiac, there's only two signs that have a duality in their symbol um, and that is Gemini and also Pisces so both Gemini and Pisces whether it's with the twins the set of twins or the two fish swimming in an infinite circle um, no matter how we think about those the meaning behind both of those symbols at the end of the day, it's talking about our spiritual connection, our infinite spiritual connections. And the Gemini archetype reminds us that 
we are human, we are half human, and we are half spirit. We all have um, Castor and Pollux in us at in some way, shape, or form. Now, let's get into um, why some people um, may be triggered by Gemini. So, I think at, sorry, there's music going off now in the, um, <laughs> in my shop, I was distracted, or not in my shop, but in the shop I'm sitting in, um, so I got distracted, but, um, the sun in Gemini, why are people perhaps triggered by Gemini? Well, hang on, I'm gonna turn this off, one moment. Okay, I'm back, sorry, forgive me, Gemini season, the ghost is turning on the music in my workplace. Okay, so, um, Yes, so Sun and Gemini, if we roll back to the Aries episode and the Taurus episode that I put out, Aries is representative of the age group of the infant, right? So Aries represents the moment we come into this world. Taurus represents um, our toddler years, our very early childhood years where we're just we're just starting to develop our um our conditioning um we're kind of like sponges we're soaking up anything that is put forward towards us now gemini is actually for me represents the age group when we first leave our parents in some way so i'm thinking more this is like not necessarily like the moment you go to school uh, without your parents, but I think it's about like the first time you did something like with your friends and your parents weren't there. So maybe, you know, your parents dropped you off at the movie theaters when you were like um, a kid or like an early teenager. Like Gemini is kind of that early teenager slash teenager kind of years. It could even bleed into going into college, but I think that's more cancer, and we'll talk about that in the next episode. But anyways, when we all, we all know as teenagers, we really have no idea who we are, and we're kind of experimenting with a lot of different things. It's like early experimental stages, and we're just kind of feeling out like what it's like to live or to do an activity without our parents there right? (laughs) So you can imagine like if Geminis as a collective are living in this energy, well, of course, there's some aspect of their personality that can't uh, make a decision at times. Uh, Maybe there's some aspect of their personality that just wants to do everything because they're so excited to live and they're so excited to experience anything and everything Um, it sort of becomes like this moment, like it's like the first taste of freedom that we've ever had in the, in the evolution of the zodiac signs. So that may be why some people are triggered by Gemini's because, um, you know, they, yeah, at some point they do have to sort of, um, almost nail themselves down a little bit, but that's also in their beauty, the fact that, they are passionate about so many different things. It's almost like in school, um, if you ever like had an activities fair at school and you got to visit the booths of different clubs and you had, you know, the soccer club and the 
a painting club and la 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 and you got like all those pamphlets and you wanted to join something you're going to join um extracurricular activities um and it's something you're gonna you're starting to develop your personality that's away from your parents right this is the time when you're trying to find out who you are and what you like now in that time we all know we're probably swayed a lot by peer pressure. We're swayed by what our friends are doing. Um, some of us are anyways. I think Geminis in general will do what their heart calls them to do, but they also want to do everything, right? They have, out of all the signs in the zodiac, Geminis have the hardest time saying no to things. Even if they're so burnt out, they know they're tired, they have major FOMO okay like literally the FOMO that Gemini has is stronger than any other sign because they really don't want to miss out on anything now it's funny because they're in like an exploratory phase of their lives at least in the span of again the the astrological evolution of the age groups of the signs. So when we're in that Gemini energy, whether we're a Gemini or not, we're kind of exploring like what we like to do, what we want to commit ourselves to. Um, and that could lead us to, hmm, how do I put this? Uh, it could lead us to like saying we're one way, but then changing that later, right? Because if you think about, you know, when you were a teenager, you probably dressed completely different than you do now. Uh, you probably acted completely different than you do now. You were probably said you were interested in this or that, but it wasn't necessarily true. Uh, like, there's a certain level of like you're trying to find yourself, but it's not solidified yet, right? You're still in experimentation phase. Uh, that is Gemini, right? So I think that might be why some people get frustrated with Geminis in general. They're like, oh, they just can't make a decision. They can't, you know, commit themselves to anything or they change their minds or they change um, I don't want to say who they are, but they change like what they're into every five minutes. Well, it's because their energy is simply that, like I said, the exploratory phase of life. Um, again, this is the first time in a sense that the energy of the Zodiac has been let out and let free and let loose and been allowed to do what they want to do. Now, I think it's funny because um, a famous Gemini, Walt Whitman, he has this like famous quote and he says, do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. I am large and I contain multitudes. So that quote for me describes the Gemini energy to a T and also I have to say like, um, the other thing people, you know, like I said, we hate on Gemini so much because, you know, they change their mind, they can't commit to anything, they're contradictory, they do one thing, but they say another, they say this and they do that, like I can't keep, hold them down. Here's the thing, um, that astrology will teach you. Astrology teaches us that everybody has inherent contradictions within their nature, it's within human nature to be contradictory. <laughs> um, I guarantee 
you have um, some sort of hard aspect in your chart that makes you one way, but then you have a trine or a sextile or something else that makes you another way in complete opposite. So that's actually the lesson that Gemini brings into this world that we are inherently contradictory. We inherently change. Um, and I think we live in a society, especially with the social media um, stuff, where we hold people accountable so strongly to what they've said in the past that we can't really accept that, you know, they are growing or like they've come to a new realization or they um, like they aren't the same person they used to be. And that's a good thing, right? That's such a good thing if you're growing and you're changing and you're becoming um, a more evolved version of ourselves, yet um, with social media, it's kind of hard to do that sometimes because I think people will say, oh, you've changed, you're not the same person. Gemini energy says, damn right, I'm not the same person. I'm evolving and I'm trying a bunch of different new things in order to evolve. Uh, so that's kind of like the vibe there with the Gemini energy. And I think the twin archetype, when it comes down to it, it is about our inherent contradictions and our our inherent dualities, right? Um, and like I said, yeah, there's a place in everybody's birth chart where we contradict our nature. Uh, and I think, just like I said, there's no such thing as... Um, a bad tarot card or a good tarot card just like there's no such thing as a good sign or a bad sign right so that's why it hurts me to see a lot of the times when people are hating on gemini's because a you have gemini guaranteed you have gemini somewhere in your chart right everybody does and b i think the reason we hate gemini's is because they bring um to light our projections right <laughs> like you don't like someone well that person is your mirror in some way and that's a really hard thing to accept that um the thing we may hate the most about our enemy also resides within us and that's what people don't like to admit about the gemini energy right i think a lot of us actually I uh, wish we could be so um, non-committal or so experimental uh, as a Gemini is. And it seems like they do live from the place of that like wild teenager ready to explore the world and ready to try out all the options there are available. And to be honest, I think some of us lose that too quickly, especially in the age we live in today. Um especially if you were like helicopter parented, you know, there's such a pressure to just like die, like uh, pin down like what it is you're interested in. Like these poor kids nowadays, like they're like 10 years old and their parents are already putting so much pressure on them to like, you know, get a scholarship for soccer or whatever. And like they don't even have a chance to find out what it is they truly like because their parents are picking what they like. Um, <laughs> and that's really the antithesis of the Gemini energy. When we're in the Gemini energy, we have to find what truly calls to our soul. And maybe those callings are contradictory and that's okay. I think there's certain callings within me that are contradictory, right? Uh, at, at, um, 
you know, every other day I wish I could be um, a midwife. <laughs> like I literally want to like be a doula and like give birth or help give birth to your child. I want to, <laughs> I want to like assist you in labor. That seems like such a random passion of mine. Um, and it's not really that contradictory since it, it boils down to like my interest interest in the divine feminine and it relates back to astrology and shamanism and tarot and la 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 but like i said like we all have some quote unquote weird interest that we want to take part of and gemini's just aren't afraid to do that right gemini's aren't afraid of their quirks now because gemini's especially gemini's sons they're so eager to learn um, and they like to stay busy, but they lose interest quickly and they don't finish projects a lot of the time. So that's the shadow side of Gemini. And that kind of feeds into their lack of commitment to both activities and people, right? So, and remember, Gemini is the student, whereas Sagittarius is the teacher. Now, it's not to say that Sagittarius's in general are more evolved or they are more um there are more master Sagittarius than there are more masters of the Gemini energy it's not that but we have to remember Gemini is the student they represent the student so it's about learning and making mistakes right and um it's about trying new things so that's the gist of what it's like to be a sun in Gemini. Um, now, as we go through the, the moon in Gemini, the, if you're a Gemini rising, Gemini Mercury, Gemini Venus, or Gemini Mars, we'll go through more of like the shadow side of the Gemini energy. And you may relate to one of these or more of the things that I'm saying, especially if you're a Gemini sun. Um, but if you have your moon in Gemini, I would say that you are torn between being overly intellectual and overly emotional. It seems like you can only pick one of those options at any given time <laughs> and people may, know, may not know what option you're going to pick. And I think it's really hard for the moon in Gemini to reconcile those two dichotomies because remember, the intellectual side of you, it's coming from that ruler, that Mercury ruler, right? So when you have your moon in Gemini, we're almost mixing together in a pot that moon and Mercury energy, right? And when moon and Mercury are conjunct in the sky, at least when they're transiting, it can be very in our heads, a lot of emotion, um, a lot of that eight of swords, nine of swords, ten of swords energy, um, not knowing how to get out of our heads, not knowing how to reconcile our thought patterns, right? And like if you had a moon in Virgo, I would say moon in Gemini is a similar energy um, because both moon in Virgo and moon in Gemini do have the tendency to over and over intellectualize their feelings you know they want to put their feelings into a box in order for them to understand it but at the end of the day feelings are feelings right feelings are water they're liquid you can't put them into a box because it's just going to soak through the the bottom of the box <laughs> and i think with a moon in gemini there might be a tendency to 
keep busy or distract oneself, especially if they have any tough emotions on their mind or they're avoiding dealing with a certain problem. Um, they might take on too many commitments in order to avoid the tough feelings. And I think the moon and Geminis also have um, to watch out for making hasty or snap decisions because they do tend to be impulsive. They do tend to act before they think. And they, they do really want the quickest route out of the tough feelings sometimes. So I think um, it's interesting because moon and Geminis can be very, very psychic and very intuitive um, because you do have the ability to relate to all different walks of life. Now, I do have to say there's not to say that Geminis don't have empathy because they especially do. But I would say um, there's a sense that the moon and Gemini especially can separate themselves from being like a bleeding heart. They can heal people very well if they choose to do that, but they really have no interest in taking on other people's problems or issues. Whereas if you had a moon in a water sign, especially if a moon in Cancer or a moon in Pisces, we're like, oh my God, someone's problems, please lay them on me because uh, that's, you know, that's just what I want. We want to take on those problems, right? That's our shadow side. Whereas the moon in Gemini is pretty good at separating themselves from other people's emotions um, just because they're so focused on their own stuff. Um, that's not to say that you're self-centered, but I think there is um, a difficulty uh, for you to zoom out and realize, oh, there's more to this planet than just what is going on inside of my mind. So that's the challenge there with the moon in Gemini. And again, you may resonate with that if you are a Gemini sun as well. With the Gemini rising, um, <laughs> I wrote down, you never sit down and you never shut up. <laughs> so you're like always moving, always talking, always on to the next project, right? You're doing 20 things at once. You're like a great multitasker. Um, actually, when it comes down to getting one thing done, it's very difficult for you, right? Like I lived with a Gemini rising and oh my freaking god it was torture watching her try to write a paper for school because it would be like she would take her like 25 hours to write a paper because she just was so she loved distracting herself like distracting herself was like a drug um so you're easily distracted you're almost like a squirrel like you're just you're you're everywhere at once if you're a gemini rising now, your strengths, you have an excellent, you have excellent verbal and written communication skills, right? Um, and people see you as a highly intellectual person, and you probably are seen as very well-traveled or well-cultured, or it's one of your goals to be well-traveled or well-cultured. You, you want to understand where other people are coming from. And people know that you have the answer to every riddle, right? So people do seek you out to find a solution because some of people's hardest problems, you can find the easiest solutions. And you often do help people find solutions and you find, um, you find value and you find worth in helping people in that way. 
And also just Gemini rising, you could just talk to anybody. You could talk to a rock on the side of the road and be entertained. Like uh, you do thrive on um, other people and you thrive on, I would say most Gemini risings will recharge in social situations. They'll be more extroverted. But at the same time, when you're alone, you can keep yourself busy <laughs> most of the time. Now, if you have your Mercury in Gemini, I would say for a lot of people, you may be a little bit hard to read. And that's just because you're so much in your head. And I think people can really never guess your next move. And people might think you're going to do one thing, but you do another thing, right? Like, so maybe for a Mercury in Gemini, you may be in a room with your enemy and, you know, everybody around you is like, oh my God, they're going to like punch that person in the face. Like they just hate that person. And you end up like shaking that person's hand and like talking about the new Taylor Swift song or something like you people just can't really guess what you're going to do or how you're going to react or um, how you're going to communicate right and I would say now don't take offense to this but I would say Mer Mercury in Gemini specifically you want to know a little piece of everything so there's a tendency to have knowledge that is like 100 miles wide, but maybe only one foot deep in a sense, because throughout your whole life, you may have trouble pinpointing exactly what you would like to study or just even the idea of studying one subject for the rest of your life just bores the shit out of you. You want to know more than one thing, right? So that kind of creates this thing where you just you just know little pieces of every single thing. And you could kind of be a know-it-all in kind of a sense. Um, but most people are going to come to you for um, a really objective viewpoint. And you're a really good problem solver as well. And yeah, you just you just know everything about everything. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that in a good way because that's your strength. So if you have your Venus in Gemini, um, I would say both Venus in Gemini and Venus in Sag, they kind of have a similar feeling because I think both Venus in Gemini and Venus in Sag, there's a tendency that um, to think that like, oh, um, what if someone's better is around the corner, right? Uh, like you value, for specifically Venus and Gemini, you really, really value that intellectual discord with your lover. And almost foreplay for you could be like an intellectual debate at some point. But um, there could be a sense, especially in love or even in literally buying things, um, you're always renting, you're never buying the house. Uh, you have trouble making that commitment because again, it's sort of that what if, what if I move? What if I find another person? What if I do this? What I what if I do that? So I think the the lesson for Venus and Gemini is learning that nobody's perfect and everybody has flaws and um, like there's the yin and yang is within you. You're really not going to find the yin to your yang because you are the yin to your yang. And I think if you find fulfillment within yourself that sort of wandering eye 
will dissipate in a way. Now, not to say that all Venus and Geminis have a wandering eye or all Geminis have a wandering eye, but like we said, Geminis get bored easily, right? They're so bored all the time. They need constant stimulation. Um, they, they need to be reading, they need to be learning, they need, they need, need, need constant stimulation. So that could be a challenge in love for some Geminis and for some Venus in Geminis. Now, Mars in Gemini, so Mars, again, it's the planet of how we move about this world. It's a planet of war, planet of sex, how we take action. So if you have your Mars in Gemini, um, there's maybe a tendency, especially when you're, you're, when you're younger, is that the chase is more exciting than the reward because, again, you get bored easily. Um, again, people can't really pin down a Mars in Gemini. You might actually enjoy the fact that nobody ever knows where you are. <laughs> like you don't really tell people where you're going. Um, you just go and you, like people run into you in public and they're like, oh dude, why didn't you tell me you were coming or well, we could have got lunch. And you just like don't tell people where you're going <laughs> because you want that freedom. You don't want people to put you in a box or a cage. You don't want to be on a leash and you need to be able to do what you want when you want it. Um, there's no waiting with you. It's like, I want sushi, I get sushi. It's the, um, I want it, I like it, I got it. What's that? The, you guys know, the Ariana Grande lyric. That's, that is Mars in Gemini energy, right? Uh, so how do we harness that? Again, it's kind of that, that self-awareness, like how are my actions affecting other people? Do my actions have consequence? Um, you know, what, what am I doing? Should I be involving someone in my life more? Or do I want to maintain this level of, um, like mysterious independence in a way? <laughs> yeah. So those are the Gemini placements. Let me know if you resonated with that. And happy Gemini season. Today is the Gemini new moon and I just posted a tarot reading about the energy of the Gemini new moon today, June 3rd. It's posted on my Instagram TV, my IGTV, and all of that information is in the show notes. Um, I'm making a commitment to myself to really just overcome my fear and throw myself back into this podcast. So for the next month of June, um, you're gonna, I'm gonna be um, coming at you with a new episode every Monday, and I'm going to try to stick to that definitely in June, but also going forth too. I would really like to produce a new episode once a week for you guys. And again, yeah, all that stuff that I talked about in the beginning is coming. Thank you so much for listening and all of your support. And I look forward to the next episode. So I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.